Hello. Hello there. Hello. Did you see what I snuck in today? Uh, I saw a minor topic. Yeah, snuck it in. Uh, is, it, is that okay to talk about this time? What do you mean this time? It's the first time it's ever been in here. Hello. Uh, did you want to talk about this this week? Yeah, that was a good, it's a good warm-up. It's a good warm-up topic for a big one, right? Yeah, God, I'm feeling very overwhelmed about this. Uh, I mean, you've had so much time to prepare. Your whole life, really, has been preparation for this episode. That's true, and all the time. So, uh, hello. Uh, John only wakes me for the important meetings. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to be doing our, our corn pre-post-mortem spectacular with Content TK. <laughs> but we're going to talk about that. How is it, TK? Uh, You've been talking about this topic for like a month. It's been just, your brain has been soaking You don't see it. anything about that that's complex, complicated, uh, problematic for me. Uh, I mean, this is your this is your show. This is your topic. This is your time to shine. Hmm. Hello. I know, and, you, uh, I know you don't like to shine. Sorry. No. It's not, uh, I, okay. Um, okay. I'll start the show. Um uh hi everybody we're gonna talk about corn and uh yeah, yeah and uh and what we think you know what we thought <laughs> what we're thinking uh and i'm gonna just kind of uh, work my way through this it doesn't have to be emotionally fraught but i've said a lot about this you know mm-hmm. so you know i feel like I, I, i'm supposed to shine yeah but we but we've got a warm-up mini first oh my god am i driving or are you driving what are we doing what are we it's, doing? I told you it's like those drive red cars that have two sets of controls. You keep telling me that, but I feel like I'm in the trunk, so I don't even get a set. No, you get a set. <sighs> Just leave the light on for me, as they say. Um, also, uh, you people who enjoy this program, both of you, can help support it by going to relay.fm slash rd, and you get uh, commercial-free episodes plus uh, some bonus content. We should probably... Uh, uh, I'm not sure when our bonus content's coming out, but we should mention that. Uh, but you also get, uh, at least once a month, you get uh, bonus stuff where you get a, uh, a sort of a bonus topic. And what do we say we're going to do for this week? Uh, oh, oh, we're going to talk about uh, Halt and Catch Fire, right? Yeah, it's very timely because that, that, that TV series just came out. And we're right at really on the, the you know, tip of the yes. spear here. Anyway. Yeah, so we'll talk about what we can remember of that. Um, but also, um, do, do you know when our, uh, bonus episode comes out? I do know as we record this, uh, tomorrow, as we record this, it's coming out by the time you listener get this episode, our, uh, very special, uh, you know, membership special episode of reconcilable differences will have long since been out. So please become a member and go to the crossover feed and look for the episode in the crossover feed that says reconcilable differences, colon, some title here. It doesn't say some title here. We actually picked the title. I just don't want to spoil it for you. Um, and that is our member special episode with a very special guest. So am I supposed to be looking? I don't see anything in Slack. Did you, did you already pick a title? I did. Oh, makes my job easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. I, I don't think I did very well on it, but I think you'll enjoy it because we have an awesome guest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, John was fun. Yeah, I was there too. Yep, yep, yep. It's going to make you want to buy a notebook. And, um, so there's that, uh, John, you've entered in a, uh, thank you. Thank you everyone who, uh, has been and continues to uh, support the show. It, uh, it helps a ton, a ton, a ton, and not just for helping people discover the show. It helps us pay for things. So thank you. It doesn't, does it help people discover the show? I don't think it does. People always, people, John, I get the joke. I know the bit, but I'm just I know you get the joke, but I, I don't, when people say it really helps other people discover the show, 
I mean, kind of, it may, when you say, please remember to like and subscribe and, you know, leave a review. I, I think it's mainly people saying, you know, uh, I mean, I guess it's for discovering the show. It feels more callow than that when people say it, though. Does it feel callow to you? I remember back in when I first started podcasting, there was a lot of like received wisdom that uh, receiving reviews on the iTunes podcast interface actually did, quote unquote, help people discover the show because Apple would put things in your face that had a lot of recent activity as measured by reviews or ratings. I have no idea if that was ever true. I don't know if it's true now. Whatever the effect is that is supposedly correlated with reviews and ratings, it never seemed that strong to me. And so mm -hmm. I just like stopped paying attention to that entirely because in my experience, the way people discover podcasts has nothing to do with anyone rating or reviewing them. But maybe I'm totally wrong. I, I just feel like if I was going to ask people to do a thing, I would want to actually know for a fact that it has some effect as I opposed know. to just like, oh, you know, someone's wrecking. I'm threading a I'm threading a needle here, John, because this is you're you're talking to Merlin, you know, 2021. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a whole different thing. Yeah, it's a different model. And here. yeah, trim package. Mm -hmm. I the the needle I need to thread is how how do I reach my goal of becoming a less deliberately uh, hurtful person to other people? Uh, and, uh, how do I, how do I maintain my own sense of like, you know, what things are good and what things are not? Well, at the same time, still being able to, uh, mm -hmm. satirize things that I think everybody says and they know isn't true. Yeah. Or maybe, or, or at least we don't know is true. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I'm speculating much more deeply. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I think that the people say a lot of stuff that is not, not only is not true, but is, is a lie. A lie in being mm -hmm. the kind of thing that one says and thinks you can convince another person you believe is true. Right. Um, that's a real lie. I mean, sometimes we speak incompletely or we speak incorrectly. We misspeak. Like, But when you say something you know isn't true and you hope somebody else believes it's true, that is to me definitely, definitionally a lie. And when you say that to your fans and listeners, I think that's lame and gross. And just because we're used to it doesn't mean – and it's, it's such a, such small potatoes except when it's not. And so, you know, I, uh, so Merlin 2021 is trying to thread a needle and walk a line, walk a line while I thread a needle. So you think people are saying it really helps people discover the show, please rate and review, but they know for a fact that it doesn't. What is their motivation to have people rate and review? I just assuming that they really thought it was a real thing because otherwise what benefit do they get from having people rate and review? Well, if one were a callow person, one would want the ego boost of a bunch hmm. of positive reviews. Hmm. I mean, that, that supposes that they'll ever look at the ratings and or reviews. And I, with the really big podcast, I can't imagine they do that. But I don't know. I don't know what it's like. No, but I mean, okay. I'm going to assume you're playing devil's advocate, which is fine. Um, anything that makes your show get an extra listener is probably a good thing. Uh, if you, especially if you don't care who listens to your show. I'm the sort of person who cares who listens to my show. I don't want everybody to listen to it. I want, I want people I like to listen to it. So the thing I would say, if, if I were the sort of person who was obsessed with having one more person listen to the show, I'd say, hey, if you have a friend who's really cool, tell them about the show. That's what I would say. But, you know, we don't say that. We say, like, subscribe, and then we have an animation of a bell being clicked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, used to, I used to say that back in the early ATP days. I was trying to get more people to listen to ATP, which, by the way, I still am. Go listen to ATP. It's a great show. Um, I never mm. wanted to tell people, hey, if you have a friend, you should tell them about ATP. And I would, and the reason that is I knew that if, uh, law of averages, if you have a friend and you tell them about ATP, they're not going to like it because it's a super nerdy show. So I always had to yeah. add a qualifier just like you did, which is to say, tell your nerdy friends about the show, which is shorthand for saying, hey, 
If you have a friend who also is super into the exact computer stuff that we talk about in ADP, tell them about the show. Don't tell your other friends. They're not going to like it unless they're super into that nerdy stuff because it's, mm. in the end, a very narrow thing. Your criteria for listening to your show, I feel like, is much more complicated, but the, the bottom line is there is a, cr- a criteria. Like, it's not just, hey, if you meet a person on the street, tell them about my podcast. I'm Merlin Mann. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. Right, right, right. And it's, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say something here with mouth words, um, which is, um, if you've never, let me put it this way. Every, it's like, it's like drugs. There's only two doses, you know, too much and not enough. And the same is true for what I would just call notoriety. There's never been a worse time to be notorious than right now. And I think, I think it's, I think it's smart to decide that something I was talking about with Roderick, we were talking about, uh, you know, what we now call being on the spectrum and how we went from that being a, a zero or a one to like being on an X axis. And then like, so the thing I do to problematize things and give me something to think about uh, at night is like, well, what if, what if it's more than a point? What if it's more than an X axis? What if it's a Y axis? What if it's a Z axis? What if we try to think about these things in different faceted ways? I think about lots of stuff in life like that, because that's a little bit how I was schooled was to try and think about that was to think about like, try and come at this from different angles so yeah, it is impossibly complex and this is impossibly boring, but I really believe this. <clears throat> so like, I, I would not run around saying to everybody I know, go watch this TV show, a given TV show. Or I wouldn't run around saying, go listen to this song. I have no reason to spend my time like that. But if I, if I encounter someone like you or maybe like Alex or people I don't do a podcast with and I think I have some idea of their taste or what they like, I can run this little kind of this fun algorithm through my head. And, you know, so, so for example, it's crazy that to me that Alex did not know about the TV show Made for Love until last week, because it's so in Alex's wheelhouse that it's, it's kind of shocking that they hadn't heard about it. And so in that instance, like, there's a lot of factors there. It's got, it's got, um, uh, it's got VR. It's got a dolphin. It's got uh, billionaire tech bros. It's got all this stuff that Alex claims to be interested in. And so in that case, like that goes through the Merlin's Pachinko machine pretty quickly and lands on, oh, that's a good thing for Alex to know. In the case of my own stuff, um, I just, I think you should be careful what you ask for from strangers, especially if it's that you, you want them to talk about you. A phrase I learned this week, anti-fandom, it's basically exactly what it sounds like, which is the idea, like the same way we used to think of like, okay, I'm a fan of the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones also have anti-fans. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has a huge team of anti-fans. Now, I mean, did she set out to be like a famous person? I mean, only secondarily, tertiarily. But like, who would, who would bring that upon themselves? Who would bring upon themselves anti-fandom? And you have to have a certain level of fandom before you get anti-fans. You, you have to become well enough known to be disliked, to become like a, a punchline or something like that. And I hope I don't, you know, ever quite reach that level. But I guess what I'm saying is like this, 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 this show or whatever, uh, you know, uh, made for love things out there are right for somebody. And I think it's fun to suggest that this could be a, a love connection for somebody who has the right kind of taste for that. And that is a very long way from, I want one more listener. Right. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't have a very profound thing to say about that, but 
I think it's worth asking yourself how famous you think you want to be or how famous you want your thing to be. Ask your doctor if reconcilable differences is right for you. Yeah, four out of five of our listeners recommend it to their podcasters who chew gum. Speaking of, uh, of no notability, when you said that, I just got a flash of my tombstone with the words in square brackets, I suppose, underneath my name that just says not notable. <laughs> Citation because I required. Because I think someone tried to make me a Wikipedia page once and it got shot down with not notable. Well, if you want to shut down, shut down mine, I'll take it. Oh, you're very notable. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. My friends, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they have got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use uh, simple drag-and-drop tools to just make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, all that and more with just a few clicks, some clicks and some drags. It's really fun. All Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile, so your content automatically adjusts to look great on any device. You also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade, and they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. If you ever need any help, they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. Uh, what can't you do? You make a beautiful website. You showcase your work. You can publish a blog or put up a gallery, promote your business, announce an event, whatever it is you want to do. You can do it with Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace for years and I continue to use it uh, to this very day. It's where the Roderick on the Line podcast lives. I'm very happy and proud to say uh, they've been great to work with. And, and there's just, you know, whether or not they're a sponsor, I'd be using Squarespace. And I got to tell you the truth, I'd keep pointing people to Squarespace because I do not want to be in the web master business. I mean, I already don't do this very well. So, you know, why would I go back to that? No, thank you. So you right now, the listener, you go to squarespace.com slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, and you're uh, going to get a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use our very special offer code diffs, because that, friends, will save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, squarespace.com slash diffs. And when you decide to sign up, use that diffs code, right? D-I-F-F-S, you know, 10% off. Do it. It shows your support for John Syracuse and, you know, what else could be more important to him? Well, let's be honest, me. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Mm. You make it fun. You make it fun. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to be real a little bit here. That's a little bit of, you know, Merlin 2021. Mm -hmm. You get the raw, the raw uncut stuff with me now. Turn you your know chair what I'm around. Talking about. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have my best baseball cap. They, they turn together. They, mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the name of that tune. Uh, my night topic, uh, Growing Grass. What, what, what is that? Uh, what's that? Do you know the song, And the Green Grass Grows All Around? What is that actual song that's from? Sing it. Do you know that? Mm-mm. I'm not going to Google it. And the green, and the green grow the rushes. And the green grass grows all around, all around. And the green grass grows all around. 
Mm. That's the only line I remember from. Recent song, old song? Uh, old song, like, uh, you know, a thing that we would have heard as kids and is very old. Or like, mm. <laughs> very old meaning 60s? All right, <laughs> 60s here we go. Early. Green, grass. Or maybe grass. 70s. Oh, around. Lyric. I figured you would have this off the top of your head. This is not what I want to talk about. Well, you about won't it, sing it. You won't sing it. I can't. Oh, it's a children's song. Yeah. The green grass grows all around. I don't think I know this song. Oh, it shows up as a nursery rhyme in my Google. It says here it's results. a Barney song. No, I'm going to say no about being Barney because this, this predates Barney for sure. I mean, I'm sure Barney did a cover of it, it being a nursery rhyme. Yeah, but Barney's a, Barney's a purple Disney. You know, he's omnivorous. Anyways, uh, growing grass. Wikipedia says it's from 1877. Boom. Appalachian folk song. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, nursery rhymes and country songs. Anyway, sorry. Sorry for that tangent. It was just stuck in my head when I saw this. Growing grass. I just, I want to briefly touch on this because I feel like it could be an ongoing thing. And it's one of those things that boringly, obviously a metaphor for like all of our lives, like humanity horse, basically. It's like one of those things <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I get it. But also it's very on the nose. If people don't know what humanity horse is, God, I don't know what to tell them. Like, it's very notable. They should totally Google it. It's uh, my <laughs> it's my uh, my niece's childhood toy, which is an extremely cool mechanical horse uh, that can walk, but not very well and not on a slippery surface. Mm -hmm. And when humanity horse, uh, spoil, spoil it for you since you'll never see it. Mm -hmm. uh, when humanity horse, humanity horse walks a little bit, humanity horse walks into something, really any kind of obstacle. And humanity horse falls down on, on his or her side but continues uh, to make the motions of walking because it, it doesn't know that it's down. Exactly. And it's, it's a great video. It's very profound. It could probably set to set to some slow piano music. Um, mm -hmm. All around me of the moon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I have, my lawn is terrible. Like the rest of my house. Uh, it is, it is good only in comparison to my neighbor across the street who has a completely disheveled house with just wild things growing on the outside of it. So it's the only thing that makes my house look any good, but otherwise my lawn is filled with like, 50% crabgrass and weeds, 40% actual grass, and then like 10% dirt, if I if that adds up to 100. Um, and it's again been getting worse and worse. And this year, I figured like, and I had a bunch of rotting railroad ties that I needed to get replaced too. So I figured, oh, let's have a bunch of stuff done. Not too much because I can't, you know, I don't want to do the big like pay someone a bajillion dollars and they just destroy everything and give me a brand new lawn full of sod. Like I can't do that, right? But let's do the like, minimal repair to maintain the the veneer of civilization let's say and so i got the railroad ties replaced yay good rotted wood replaced with nice fresh wood um and i said what can you do about this lawn talking to my landscaper guy what can, what can you do about this lawn i know you could like i could give you a ton of money and you could be like i give you all new lawn right i don't want that i can't do that right now let's let's what's the bargain package what can you do for me and he's looking at the lawn and i'm like can you just like do something he's like yeah yeah, maybe we can do something. How about this much? Sure. It seemed like a small amount of money. Do whatever. And the whatever that they did was they came in with rakes and a bunch of dirt and tried to rip up as much of the stuff that wasn't lawn, which again is about 50% of the lawn. Wasn't lawn, but was in fact just weeds and other crap. And put in a bunch of new dirt and put in a bunch of grass seed. The old-fashioned way. Not hydro seeding, not, nothing fancy, you know. Oh, like when you put in a little spinner? In that little windmill? I mean, I think they had a fancier thing that, but in the bottom line, it's a bunch. It's a bunch of grass. Oh, they probably have like a like a two wheeled push around thing. Yeah, it's just a bunch of grass seats falling down onto the ground with, on top of the dirt they made, right? So nothing fancy at all. Um, and so they did this, uh, and the railroad ties look great. And then uh, you know, a week or two later, they were waiting for the right time for like the growing season in the spring. They did the rest of the lawn, and when they're done, my lawn that was previously 
grass plus a bunch of weeds that are mostly green suddenly became 50% spotty patchy grass, 50% brown dirt. Like just complete brown dirt with grass seed in it, right? Did, did the brown dirt used to be dirt or is that where grass died? That's where they like ripped up stuff, right? Uh, okay, okay. The stuff that wasn't grass. And there was there was plenty of patches of grand dirt, brown dirt even before so Included this. in this, in this I, I, I might be missing a step here. Included in their uh, estimate was getting all the, the crabgrassy stuff out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this was a one-day operation. Like, I don't have a big lawn, right? It wasn't wasn't mm-hmm. that big of a deal. We were trying to contain costs. What can you do for me here? This is going to result in something better than what I have now. And so this is what I got. And so the the brown dirt is sitting there. This is a whole other side story about me having to turn on my own in-ground sprinkler system because the actual in-ground sprinkler system people couldn't come until like a week later. And once you got the seed down, you really need to get the water on it immediately. But anyway, I did that, you know. And so I've got, like, oh, make sure you keep it wet, so on and so forth. But the bottom line is you look out your window and it looks like, I don't know what it looks like, because the, the part that's grass is not evenly distributed at all. It's like patchy. And the rest of hmm. it is just like literally brown dirt. And what you're thinking immediately is I've just, I've made it worse. I've destroyed my lawn. At least before it was green weeds. <laughs> At least it looked kind of green. And it sounds you, like my oven. If you, and if you mowed it, if you mowed the weeds, the, people could be fooled into thinking it was grass, right? But mm-hmm. now no one's being fooled by this. It looks like, you know, like just brown, muddy dirt everywhere Ugh. with some grass sticking out of it and grass seed on it. And then, you know, the birds come and they're eating the seed, right? And then you're sitting there looking at it and being like, did I just pay a whole bunch of money? I mean, not that much, but still not nothing. Did I just pay a whole bunch of money for someone to come and replace my lawn with dirt? And then you're Googling Hmm. for like, how long does grass seed take to germinate? (laughs) Right? Because I know from watching home improvement shows like, oh, maybe like a week, two weeks. That's when it should take. But a week goes by and your lawn just looks like dirt with grass seed on it. Right? Two weeks goes by. Your lawn just looks like dirt with grass seed on it. And I'm thinking, and that, that's when I started Googling. I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not two weeks. And then Google comes back with like, you know, grass seed germinates from anywhere from seven days to 21 days. I'm like 21 yeah, I days? I feel like we get, we, get, we get lots of sprouts after a good amount of rain. Like seems close enough that you can associate it with the rain having caused it. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be patient, right? But I, I'm watering the lawn twice a day, like keeping it wet, doing all the things you're supposed to do. Plus it's spring and we're getting a lot of rain. Like this is the season, right? Tis the season for growing grass. Mm-hmm. But I'm still just looking out there at just dirt. And it was the longest, like, two and a half weeks of my life waiting to see if something, anything would happen, especially on the days where you water in the morning and then the sun comes out and it starts to dry. And before the sprinklers come on in the evening, it's like it just looks like light brown dirt, like it's drying. You're like, do I just have a bunch of loose, dry dirt with some seeds sitting in it? Nothing's ever going to happen. And then finally, these tiny little green things start coming up. But not evenly and not everywhere, just like in tiny little patches. So maybe like 5 to 10% of the dirt now has these tiny little green sprouts of grass things growing like an inch apart from each other. And you're like, that, is that it? I feel like a kid like waiting for like their mustache and puberty or whatever, right? Is, <laughs> is, this, is this all I'm going to get? Is this it? Uh-huh. Um, and now like a little bit more of them are coming in slowly or whatever. Anyway, so this is my humanity horse. This is my like, have I destroyed my lawn as I sit there and look out my window at this muddy, dirty thing? all the time trying to tell myself, well, it's just a lawn. Like if it doesn't work, you, you get an infinite number of tries. Like they can always truck in more dirt. They can always dig stuff up. You know, you can always like dump a bucket of money on someone's head and they can do the hydro seeding or put in sod or do all sorts of other things. Like in other words, like it's a, not a renewable resource, but it's like, there's no such thing as, you know, making a mistake here. It's, it's a, it's a growing living thing. So maybe you blew it. Right. 
But on the other hand, I'm saying, well, maybe I blew it. Maybe I just have, maybe I live in a dirt, <laughs> I'm a dirt farmer now. <laughs> I just live in dirt. <laughs> um, anyway, all I want to say is that uh, some tiny little bits of grass are kind of coming in every day. I look out that window and say, is there any more coming in? Is it good? What kind of coverage am I get? Is Are these tiny little young grasslings all going to die or are they going to grow? Um, so this is my, now, now that my toes are all taken care of and we don't talk about that anymore. I just wanted to give people the starter story for my grass because I think it will be an ongoing saga for at least the rest of this growing season and possibly into the fall if I have to end up redoing this. It's got a lot of uh, apparent lessons about life in it, I feel like. Yeah, like I, I'm having trouble thinking of it literally because it's so metaphorical. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. um yeah, you know, of course, there's the trust your mechanic component of this, but um, and if you'd paid twice as much, would it be twice as good? Who knows? But you know the the patience that it takes to know whether whether something is <laughs> whether, whether there's anything good there at all, like that uh, that takes some time. And paying to water it, like what the we we have this thing where if we could if we had hooked up our in ground sprinkler system to like a different pipe with different water, it'd be slightly cheaper. But the the procedure to the plumbing procedure. Uh, ends up costing so much money that it takes you years to earn that back. So anyway, bottom line is we still have our our sprinkler water hooked up to the most expensive possible water source. And so it costs us a ton of money to water this thing in the morning and the night. So two weeks of watching the sprinklers go on in the morning and then go on in the evening and go on in the morning and go on in the evening, seeing the dollar signs flowing out of my house, right? Uh, And I'm just watering dirt. I'm watering dirt for two weeks. Like that whole stretch is just very, very profound in my mind as a as a human experience of just watering dirt for two weeks, hoping that something, anything is going to happen, having no idea if it is. Yeah. (sighs) It's, um, it's, you know, and it's, it's a little like, like something I've been going through. I don't know. It feels like forever, but especially in the last year of doing this, doing various kinds of technology things is I sometimes feel like, I forget if I said this here or or maybe on two by Friday, but, um, there's that frustrating, time of problem solving you you kind of went through this with your uh smart switch probably but there's that kind of thing where like there's some kinds of fixes you know it's a good example is yeah it would be do by friday dns is a good example of this where i don't really know what i'm doing with dns i don't know how dns works i mean i can follow directions but as with so many of the things i try to quote unquote fix in life i do the thing that, that i think will make this less broken and you see if it worked yeah, but with stuff like DNS and grass, uh, there's a lot of waiting and you don't even know if you're done waiting yet. It's one thing to say, you know, okay, we've given you, um, this medicine you should notice a difference. You know, the, the way I would put it like, oh, you're not going to, you would be very unusual for you to notice a difference in less than a week, but you should notice something, you know, in less than a month. So around two weeks, like you should notice a difference. But like, you know, what do you do? Well, you keep, you know, woofing down those pills and, you know, thinking of England, you keep doing the thing, you keep watering the grass. In my case, like you just keep, you could keep reloading the DNS propagation updates, but you know, the time is the only thing that's going to tell. You know what I mean though? There's, there's something peculiarly human about the, uh, you don't even if you know if you're done waiting yet. You don't, did this thing work? I, yeah. I won't know for so long whether this worked at all. And with, with DNS, usually, I mean, at this point, unless it's an, a real emergency, well, even if it's an emergency, what am I going to do? I'm going to speed up the DNS propagation? Not really. I just load the page more to, so I can have some relief. Well, I don't, I don't know if anything did anything until it does something. Yeah, I think the scale is so important here. It was like the scale as compared to a human life scale. 
waiting 15 minutes, an hour may seem like an eternity when you're younger, but at a certain point, like no matter what age you are, waiting two weeks suddenly puts it into a new category of waiting. Because during all that time, if you're wondering, is this doing anything in the back of your mind? It's like, well, if it isn't, like to say for a medicine, if this isn't doing anything, then we ditch it. We should try a different medicine, but that one takes two weeks. And how long do we mm-hmm. do this? Right. Like, right, right, right. Things that, and you know, growing things in general, this is why I, I do not have a green thumb any way, shape or form. Like I guess, I suppose you get expertise and eventually you have some confidence that the 17 steps that you took are going to produce something that actually grows. But especially when you're a beginner, you're just like, am I just going through the motions for weeks here and nothing is ever going to come out of the ground? Right. It's just like, I don't know. It's probably some, there's probably some Fellini movie of someone just watering rocks forever, hoping something's going to grow and nothing ever happens. And meanwhile, while Mm. this is happening, like between the bricks on your patio, 700 dandelions grow overnight. Right. The things you don't want to grow happen instantly, but you're staring at that mud for two weeks thinking something. It's a a lot like notoriety. Is it? (laughs) Is it though? It is. You you just put down, you just wasted all that water to get a bunch of dandelions. Mm, all right. I get it. I'm with you now. You put your home. I know you are. You, you come around. You're like you're like DNS propagation in a lot of ways. And my, I have a low TTL. Huh. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's weird. They'll tell you, like, leave it set at one hour or whatever. Like, when I want to make it shorter until I know if it's working. I'm I mean, sure that, the thing about TDL is you always want it to have been shorter right before you make a change. But then after you make a change, you're like, I should make this longer because it's more efficient. Oh, that makes sense. Um, time is a funny thing, John. Uh, two weeks, I feel like. So, so like, okay. So, for example, when I'm always, you know, forever singing the praises of setting a timer, especially for stuff like pasta, and I, I in my head, I hear pushback against the idea. Like, of course, I'll remember. Like my beloved partner, of course. How could I possibly forget the pasta is? And well, trust me, you'll forget the pasta is, and you'll forget how long it's been. You know, I mean, ha- have you ever set a timer using a smart device and you're pretty sure it got it, but it didn't, you know, and like, you don't know how long it's been in now, or you don't know how long it's been cooking, you know, and like, like one time, and this is why I always want my reminders to have a, when I created this reminder, as well as the, when it goes off, you know, kind of timestamp, because like I had a, like a pressure, not a pressure, an instant pot, uh, something went wrong, I guess I, maybe the seal wasn't right. But some end minutes into cooking, it just kind of pooped out and I needed to, I didn't want to start over, like that would be crazy, but I had to kind of guesstimate how long it had been. But, you know, I, when I, for an eight minute timer for pasta or a 10 minute pasta for a timer, the, my challenge to anybody who thinks that's a silly idea is to go somewhere where there's no clocks for a little while and don't, don't look at a clock until it's been exactly 10 minutes. And what you will discover is, well, let me spoil it for you. First of all, you'll discover that, oh, no, it's actually been five minutes, but that's okay. You failed now. Or it's 11 minutes and you failed. It's, a, it's very unlikely you're going to nail it at exactly 10 minutes. And then you say, well, then, yeah, you're right. That's really silly. And you go, yeah, you know, why don't you set a timer? Because <laughs> then you would avoid all of that. But the two weeks, like that, what I just described is the, is the in one evening, the interpersonal version of like an inscrutable time unit. But I think like sort of existentially two weeks, two weeks might be as bad as a year where a year is impossibly far away until you think back to one year ago today. You think one year in the future, and that seems like 50 years. Whereas if I said, if you ask you to go look at your calendar from, you know, May 4th of 2020, that might seem like not as long ago as that year in the future seems. Do you know what I mean? Two weeks can be really bad about that. Two weeks 
is like a is a a, a micro version of that. It just seems so far away. Where it's like you, you don't have you can't pay attention to something for two weeks. But like again, I, for me, that becomes all about reminders because of my broken brain. But I don't know. Life life is funny like that. Yeah, you had uh, you just had in that little bit there. I wrote it down not because I'm going to make it a title or anything, but you had some some pretty solid uh, foundational lyrics for a middle of the road song. Okay, you, you had this, and I wrote it with a little lyrical slash between it. You forget mm-hmm. the pasta is in. You forget how long it's been. Tell me you can't build a song around that. You totally can. I could totally build. I've been wanting to write a country song. And I, I think I think that oh, uh, you can't have the word pasta in a country song. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, uh, you're probably You'd right. You'd have to say noodles and it wouldn't work anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. It, it could be some kind of like, uh, I could make like an English indie band. Yes, pasta. yes. This is definitely a, a uh, you could make a Canadian song. I feel like you could make a good Canadian rock song out of this. I wish I could. I love those guys. Um, well, you know, we'll check back in on your grass. I, I uh, you know, mazel tov. I hope, I hope it grows. It's better than checking in on my toes. Am I right? It's really so, so much better than checking in mm-hmm. on your toes. Unless, how are your toes, by the way? Uh, they're fine. Good. You still, you still got that cattywampus snail? I still do. Hmm. Cool. Uh, sandal season. <laughs> um, lucky me. Mm-hmm. I think that's all we have for front matter. Yep. I suspect. Let's dive in. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. You can learn more about ExpressVPN right now by visiting expressvpn.com slash diffs. How did you choose which internet service provider to use? As the sad truth is, most of us have very little choice because ISPs have a lot of control in the regions that they serve. They can then use this control to take advantage of customers, data caps, streaming throttles, and the list goes on. Worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and could sell that data to other companies for advertising. And so a lot of folks out there are choosing to protect their devices with ExpressVPN, which means ISPs won't be able to see your internet activity. So what is ExpressVPN? Well, it's a simple app for your computer or smartphone, and it encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your activity stays your activity. And just think about how much of your life is on the internet. I mean, that's pretty much my whole life, personally. Every site you visit, every video you watch, a message you send could be tracked and used without your permission. And that's why uh, ExpressVPN uh, is the best way to keep your information private. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. And that's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. Uh, I've been using a VPN for years. Uh, I think it's a real good idea. It's like my friend Chris's dad always said, you know, keep the screen door latched. Keep the honest people honest. You do what you can. And uh, you should go, go, go check out the ExpressVPN. You know, stop handing... Uh, your personal data to ISPs and other companies who want to profit from your information. Protect yourself with the VPN uh, that keeps a lot of folks private out there. You go to expressvpn.com slash diffs. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. And you're going to get three extra months for free. That's a pretty good deal. Go to expressvpn.com slash diffs right now to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. And we're back. Uh, we've been talking about something for, I want to say, a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. And that's the uh, the pandemic times. 
or as we like to call it, corn, which I think is canonically spelled Q-U-O-R-N. You got it. Rhymes with corn. It is actually probably a trademark of that brand that makes the fake chicken meat thing that my daughter sometimes eats. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. But we could put a diuresis over it or something. Yeah. You know, you, 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 sometimes you get diuresis if you have raw chicken. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's parody. It's legally protected. We're fine. TM, TM, TM. Um, and something we've been banging around for a few weeks is uh, getting to where, I, I, well, I, I want, maybe, maybe for two minutes, this was called the, the quarantine uh, postmortem. But uh, John and I are calling this the corn pre-postmortem spectacular. So what have we learned? What, are, what, are, what is it? What, how, what's our phrase? What are our corn lessons? Or corn results. That's it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like vacation results. <laughs> it's it's the pre-postmortem though. So we don't really know. It's a pre-postmortem. We're not ready. Nothing's post. I feel I feel like right now, like the way into this is I mean, you've we've we've talked around this and into it, and you've touched on it in so many of your other podcasts that it must be just rattling around your brain constantly, which is like, you know, we can see there often often the near distance, the maybe the finish line. And the question we have for ourselves is, uh how how do we want things to be going forward? Do we want it to go back to exactly like it was before uh, COVID? Probably not. It's okay. So then the next question is, how do you want it to be? Do you want it to be exactly like it is during quarantine? No. So there's something between like the way it was before and the way it is now. Mash those together and say, what is the future you want for yourself, for the world? And what mm-hmm. is the future we think we're going to get? Yeah. Yeah. And like all things where one tries to predict the future, you know, you can look at all the, the, the game attempts at that in the past and the impoverished imagination or, you know, not even imagination and not even impoverished, but, but just the whole thing of like, you know, how it's, it's so difficult to know what's going to happen in the future because we, there's so many things we can't account for or so many things we're sort of not noticing happening right now. Uh, there's that, uh, Kevin Kelly shared this great quote recently. It was something like trying to decide what to do in life, work on something that doesn't have a name yet. I thought that was such an interesting idea. Um, and I was thinking about how like my most interesting work has been doing stuff that it has a name sometimes, but it doesn't have a name that a lot of people know. You know what I mean? So like, you know, if you want, if you want something that's going to be interesting in the future, it's risky to work on something that doesn't have a name. But if it's something that has too clear of a name, that's, that's no guarantee. Um, and, and I, I think that's the problem with trying to figure out the future. So here, here are my stipulations for this, just in my own, my own disclosure or like I say, stipulations, um, in order, I, I am very interested in the future of public health after this, because you can't really talk about what comes next without public health or even personal health. But I'm, for this discussion, I am less interested in the public health implications writ large. I, I don't know if that even makes any sense. I want to talk about what I think what I said to you was the social and cultural changes, the team changes, the like. So my stipulations are, no, I'm, I'm not going to talk necessarily uh, just about like ventilation in schools. But I also, second, would like, I want to feel um, unencumbered to talk about my own incredibly selfish personal observations. I'm not trying to be a pundit but also just the things that I would like. I mean, I think this would be more interesting if you and I, it's, sometimes it's very uninteresting when especially tech and gadget people focus solely on whether they would buy something. Well, who cares? Like, t- tell me who's, who's this for? 
that was always one of my goals with 43 folders was not to say just whether something, whether I liked it or not, but who I thought it was good for. Like with suggesting media or grass to your friends or podcasts, you know, um, I think it helps to say like why, why you like this and who you think it's for. So the, the thoughts, you're absolutely right. This bangs around in my head constantly. And again, the, the, um, public health is going to be a, uh, the public health issues are going to be a drone through this whole thing because that's the, the main game mechanic of what we're talking about here is that we don't want more people to get sick and die. Right. But now that we've kind of addressed some parts of people not getting sick and dying, now we begin the difficult work of, I'm not even going to say going back to normal, of whatever comes next, and then the next thing that comes next, and then the next thing that comes next. And that's the part that I do find myself thinking about a lot. Even though I'm only an armchair futurist, I cannot help but think about another thing I think I phrased it to you was like, you know, what do we miss from the past that we may not see again anytime soon, if ever? whether that's a restaurant you like or, you know, whatever. And also, you know, what, what did, in terms of the lessons or the, um, the corn results, you know, what would you like to see stick? What is that, you know, remote work? Is that a certain change in our disposition about like what kind of social gatherings we should all compel each other to go to? I just want to provide that. Do you have any opening, uh, opening remarks? Uh, I mean, I feel like I can dive right in with a couple of things you threw out there. We could start with a, with kind of a softball. I know you just got done saying it doesn't matter so much that what uh, we individually want, but rather like the, you know. Except for here. Except for normally, I, I don't want to talk. About, it would not be fun, sensible, or interesting for me to do a, a podcast about which Android device I'm not buying this week. That would be a, a an interminably uninteresting thing. What What might be more interesting is like, you know, how do you, how do you decide those kinds of things? And then what are you excited about? You know? Yeah. So the, 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 the easy one, the gimme, the easy entry point that I've heard a lot of people talk about, but I think is actually interesting enough to be a way in, uh, mm-hmm. is, is handshaking. Let's talk about mm-hmm. handshakes. Uh, I, I'm the type of person who it's not that I'm against handshakes or physical greetings of any kind, far from it. But what I am very much against as a general introvert with minor social anxiety uh, stuff is not knowing what the appropriate greeting uh, is, uh, you know, is in any given situation. I hate that. I find it very distressing. And the great the great thing about quarantine, the great thing about COVID is there was suddenly a time where there was never any ambiguity. Look, no one is shaking hands. And the relief I felt from knowing that in every single interaction with every person in my entire life, stranger or whatever, during the time of quarantine, that whole question of what is the appropriate greeting or departure or whatever, Mm -hmm. it was just like, look, no one's going to shake hands. You don't even need to just like there was maybe like a one 24 hour period in the beginning when people felt the need to, to note that they weren't shaking hands. But that passed so quickly. And it was just like, we all agree. We're not going to shake hands, even though. We eventually learned that, like, touching things, you know, and, you know, granted, touching things and touching your mouth or your eyes can get it to you. But in general, once we learned that airborne is the main transmission method, still, we were all on the same page, which is we're just not doing handshaking anymore. And selfishly, as a person who finds it difficult to not know what people expect in those various situations, I would love it if that would stay. But I also know that it's not going to because most people aren't likely and people love to shake hands for a variety of good and bad reasons. So I'm kind of dreading the return to greeting ambiguity 
even <laughs> though, again, I'm not against these things. Like in in an unambiguous situation, I have no problem with it. It's just the sort of, I don't know. It just seems like it's not such a burden. A tiny little pebble on my shoulder of every interaction. Yeah, you know? I think it's worth distinguishing. You may have already done this, but I want to underscore this. Whatever your personal feelings about touching someone else's hand, it sounds like what you're really saying is there was relief in not in the um, it was, there was relief there was relief in not having that ambiguity that it it isn't it's just that in general and I think that's true for lots of things. There, there was an article I read recently um, about people with OCD during the pandemic and how there were, there were some ways in which it was actually um, better for them than you would have guessed. For one reason, they already have natural hobbit tendencies in many cases or are hand washers or, you know, they're like, well, now the world knows how I feel. Like everybody has to do this or is expected to do this. And like all of my my life of hand wringing that maybe was just a compulsion uh, or an obsession uh, had a reason to, to actually be done. And that actually was kind of good for me. And I think there's a whole bunch of stuff like what you're describing here, which is the stuff where, yeah, there was there was a a lot of ambiguity removed because just a lot of social situations were removed. A lot of the, the baked in Larry David awkwardness of life, you know, we had a new kind of awkwardness we could share rather than something that seems perfectly normal to some people and, you know, very upsetting or... Um, anxiety producing for other people and it was uniform like it was like we didn't even have to like all agree on it we just understood we're gonna have i mean it's i guess it's supposedly it's cultural but like like around these parts social distancing masks not shaking hands like it's just like we all eventually woke up one day and said this is what we're doing from now on so you know like i said very quickly we dispense with the notion of ever even making comment or note of the the basic things that we've been doing for the past year and we just all did them everyone wears a mask everyone stays distant no one shakes hands and it's just streamlined everything because shaking hands, greeting. I mean, it's probably even worse in Europe where they're always kissing each other on the cheeks and hugging and all sorts of like I did. I watch movies and I'm fascinated to say these people are just meeting for the first time in this movie and he's going to kiss her on the cheek twice. But yeah. then when these people meet, uh, they're going to shake hands. And when these people meet, these men are going to kiss each other on the cheek. And when the like. The rules just, I don't understand them at all. Obviously, these are different cultures than mine for the most part. And plus, they're also movies, so who knows how accurate they are. But it's like, wow, I could not imagine trying to navigate that. And unless it's a comedy, you never see the thing that happens in real life plenty of times, which is people have different notions of how they're going to greet. And those those collide in a terrible, awkward way, getting the interaction off on exactly the wrong foot. And that never happens when everybody knows we're not shaking hands. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not trying to sound critical, but is handshaking actually that confusing to you? Like, especially no, when you hey, like if I knew man? if we switched to everybody shakes hands always, I'm fine with that too because I don't have any problem. I mean, like in the hands. in the days before corn, if you went into a meeting, a three on three meeting with people who were vendors or whatever, it was. And let's just for the sake of argument, keep it simple ish and say that it's like three dudes and three dudes, you're going to shake hands, right? I mean, that's the thing about, so here's, you know, in the, the jobs that and I with have, women, I mean, it used to be, you didn't shake a woman's hand, but I feel like that's, that's become a, a normal thing for years. Oh, no, I've, I've never, I've never subscribed, never subscribed to that. But like, here's the thing about the jobs I've had part of the but whole, that's part of the problem is it's not what you subscribe to. It's what's normal. All right. But it also, it's, it's a, it's related to the profession. So my, my jobs, my career has been, you know, I've, I graduated college at the dawn of the web and my entire career has been 
as a programmer, web programmer in the internet age, and you know the whole part of the the shtick with that thing is, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we wear t-shirts and jeans to work, and we don't wear a tie, and we got ping pong tables, and everything's casual. And that's why I've never lived in a world where it was unambiguous in a meeting with anybody in any capacity at work that you were going to shake everyone's hands. In fact, the, okay. the, the default was you probably weren't, but sometimes you were, depending on if it was like, you know, even in a job interview, I remember job interviews, it's like, oh, of course you shake the guy's hand after you finish the job. Do you, though? Because not it's it's like wearing a suit and tie to a job interview. Sometimes that was a faux pas when I was looking oh, for yeah. jobs. It makes you look like a rube. Yeah. And so even those rules, like there was, there's always been ambiguity because part of the image and kind of like, cultural you know traditions of being uh you know a programmer in the internet age is we don't shake hands like we don't do the things that our fathers did we don't wear a suit to work and even if a vendor comes in we you know greet with casual pleasantries as if it's just not a big deal because that's part of the image of being cool internet-y programmers i don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, like if you were in Japan, you would do the whole elaborate card thing, and there, that's a very, you know, sort of elaborate—not elaborate, but by, by by American standards, it's a fairly elaborate ritual that you don't want to screw up. And but like, I I, I get what you're saying, yeah. and I think it did used to be a lot simpler, for for better or for worse, often for worse. What was I watching? Oh yeah, it was a movie they talked about on Blank Check. I was watching um, it's called A New Leaf, that Elaine May movie with Walter Matthau from I think 1970. And there's a scene where Walter Matthau goes into like a, you know, a cocktail party. I say casual cocktail party, but everybody's wearing a necktie, all the men. But, you know, and it was such a time capsule of, of the, like my childhood, where the men talk to the men, the women talk to the women. When a man is introduced to a man, they each extend their hands and they shake hands. And of course, all the women are referred to as, it might as well be, like be an off-red situation as like Mrs., you know, Mrs. Syracuse or whatever. You know what I mean? And in that case, like that was all, you know, pretty formalized. And, you know, I, I even when I was a kid, I, and I, I was very interested in etiquette as a child. I think because I sought, you know, some kind of, um, I don't know, standards for understanding life, some normalcy things, as well as a little bit of fanciness. But, you know, never shake a woman's hand. That was just, women might shake each other's hands in that weird grab your fingers kind of way. <laughs> um I, you know, I, I feel that, boy, I still feel that awkwardness. So, okay. So the other day, um, over the weekend, we went out to lunch with my sister-in-law, our two families. And it's, I, I feel like the, like the first legitimate actual going out to eat at a restaurant that we have done really since this thing began. I mean, you know, apart from grabbing the food and going and sitting somewhere else, this is, you know, we went up to uh, Napa Valley and, uh, and ate outside at this place. And, but like, it's also one of the, so like sometimes I'll go to the hardware store, I'll go to the drugstore, I'll go to wherever. And like, that's been awkward for a year because I'm still doing that weird kind of side shuffling to like performatively give you more space. But like everybody's doing that sort of, at least here. And I mean, we can only really speak to what what's familiar in our communities, but San Francisco has been pretty good about a lot of stuff, you know, around this. And the people here are pretty have been pretty good about masks and social distancing, et cetera. Um, obviously, that's less so now, but we, we can get to that, the complexity of like, you know, w- what does the science say? What should we be doing? But like, I find myself doing this bizarre, like, s- kind of crab walk in a lot of places. 
again, very, it feels very performative, but like, I worry that I'm freaking somebody out by being too close to them. You know what I mean? And people move in this, this, this bizarre square dance with each other. Speaking of that and moving on from handshaking, that exact thing of essentially social distancing of giving people, pretending people have some kind of like force field around them that is much bigger than normal. Like every, every culture has different standards for proximity and it's contextual. Like I remember I, you know, I commuted on the T in Boston for years and you would literally be jammed in there like sardines with people's bodies pressed like shoulder to shoulder, chest to back, just jammed into a green line train because everyone just wants to get home. That is a cultural context, right? But in mm-hmm. places where there is adequate space, like going to the drugstore. Like the, the elevator effect, right? Yeah. Like going to the drugstore. We we have spent a year doing what you just described, the crab walk, giving people way more space than we had given them before, just because it's like, you know, we, we, there's, a, there's a reason we're doing it. We're trying to not, you know, stay away from each other to not spread germs, right? And I think this is another example of, not that I necessarily enjoy that, and I understand it's contextual because you don't always have all that space. But when you do have that space, I would bet that for a lot of people, not really me, but but I bet for a lot of people, that extra space is a huge improvement, setting aside all COVID stuff, of the way it was before. Because in general, Mm. there are always people who would like more personal space than the culture they live in defaults to in all circumstances. And suddenly if they get it, oh, everyone say, for example, lots of women probably don't like it when men are walking behind them very closely, right? For lots of good reasons. Suddenly, if everyone is giving all these women an extra six feet of space and doing the crab walk to get out of their way, that might be a relief to a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. going back to the old way where we don't have to do that anymore, great. Now I feel ever so slightly more menaced. And I was enjoying the idea of me walking around with this invisible force field so that we all stay away from each other, right? Like, and I think we all do that. You've talked about this on other podcasts. Like, when you're walking down the street as an adult man, you have to have some awareness of the the unfortunate cultural menace that you uh, provide in various contexts. It's late at night. Some person is walking by themselves. You are a large adult man coming in the opposite direction. Maybe give them space on the sidewalk because you know this is a situation that could be anxiety-inducing and threatening, so you just do it out of politeness. Now, here we are every, in the drugstore in the light of day. All of us are keeping these giant bumper cars of space around us, and doing that as you described feels weird and might be feel strange to do but having it done to you makes you kind of feel like the people are partying like the red sea and you're like it almost feels more civilized in a way of like yes please don't be in my space because i find it more relaxing when you're farther away yeah yeah i I think you know um a phrase you like to use sometimes like setting establishing a baseline where if you i mean here's a baseline for you Uh, i hope if you're listening to this show you're probably a pretty smart cookie i hope you've been over the last year, trying to wear a mask in situations where it's appropriate, at least, if not more. Um, well, for me, seeing people in a mask before that, like, let's say, you know, three, five, ten years ago, when you see people in a mask, uh, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, like if, if you, if we did the kind of social distancing we do now in another time, it, you would have been implying that that person smelled or something. Or that they were weird. Yeah. Right. And and so like, but the thing is, when when um I I I never gave this a ton of thought, but I live in a neighborhood with a lot of Asian people, people especially from China, and uh, or you know first, second, third generation people from Asia in general, China in particular, and I did not know until fairly recently that people from um, a lot of countries in Asia, at least that I'm aware, 
they're not wearing a mask so they don't get sick. They're wearing a mask so they don't make other people sick, which ob- sounds like an extremely obvious thing to say in May of 2021. I wonder how many people knew that a year and a half ago. I didn't know that. And I thought they seemed a little bit weird and tightly wound. And like, what are you, what are you afraid? I'm going to make you sick. It's like, because uh, of my ignorance, I didn't know that that was a, a cult, a social moray uh, in their background of not, if you think you're getting a cold, you don't want to make other people sick. Yeah, this reminds me of my childhood. Like, I, I was very aware of my childhood that in Japan, which was a culture I was interested in as a kid, mostly due to anime and giant robots, uh, that in Japan, it was common practice for people to wear surgical masks when they had a cold. So even from, from a young age, I understood like, hey, okay, they're doing it because they have a cold and they're doing it to avoid the spread of the cold. But it seems so ridiculous to me. Like, OK, haha, look at this weird. We all have our cultural foibles. Americans have do all sorts of silly things, too. And the, the Japanese... Like, you know, for all of their wonderful achievements in, you know, economics and technology, they have this weird cultural foible that they wear masks when they're sick as if they think that will do anything. Uh, Well, surprise, it totally does. And now I feel cheated by like the 20 years of my life or whatever many years it's been since the 80s. 40, goddamn, I can't do it. It's two decades I dropped. Um, (laughs) That, that, uh, that, you know, that they all have the answer and we're here going, ha ha, look at those funny Japanese people wearing masks. What do they think they're doing? Oh my God. We, why didn't we all? <laughs> they're so simple. <laughs> like, and the, did you see that? Like the, all the stories about like, like uh, almost nobody uh, died of the flu this year in America mm-hmm. because we yeah. were all wearing masks. It's like, cause what? we're all inside. That it and was that easy when we weren't. That all we yeah. had to do was not go near each other and wear masks. And this one little Island of the Pacific, everyone's wearing masks and they're just over there. Lottie down. We're like, ah, oh, isn't that silly? I feel so dumb. I feel I like know. I do too. <laughs> I, I feel I feel double ignorant about that. Um, but uh, your larger point, I think, is true. Though um, somebody was mentioning on another podcast, they were talking about how <laughs> you know women feeling like they don't need to wear as much makeup. I mean, you know, whatever. Everybody's got their own. I'm not going to dig into that particular uh, you know tar pit. But like, you know, everybody has their own ideas about like. But, you know, it would be nice to be able to just put on a mask and not have to worry about whether you have frown lines or something like that. I, I saw someone post that they'd spent they'd spend a year with uh, some woman posted on Twitter that she just spent a year not having men tell, ever tell her to smile. And she's never giving up the mask. And you get to lip sync mm-hmm. if you like to lip sync mm-hmm. or, or, or sing. You know, it's you don't seem as weird. So, I mean, those are those are sort of well, we could put a lot of those on the shelf, you know, called unintended consequences. But the the space stuff the public stuff i mean that does also then shade into one of the big ones for me of i don't know i mean this is too much to get into for for in even in one full episode but in terms of the we, i imagine we will be talking about you know the easing back into whatever or easing into whatever comes next you know and i think one of the myriad ways that's going to be frustrating in the same way that so much of this has been frustrating is nobody can give you a date for when things are normal there's 300 million people in this country in, in all of these different communities. Everything's different, 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 different. That's another lesson for me. It's just another reminder of how big this country is and how few things you can say intelligently about everybody in this country. And now, as they say, more than ever. But um, I mean, I, I wonder, I don't know, I do always wonder about the, the nominal extroverts who really do kind of miss being jostled around or going being out on a dance floor or something like that. Not that it's only extroverts who like to dance, but the kind of people, you know, all of these things that we're talking about as like, well, I haven't really, I really haven't missed that. I mean, I bet there's another person out there for every one of us. And they're going like, well, I really miss shaking hands or I really, I really miss, 
you know, being seated at a group, you know, table at like a, a local restaurant or something like that. And I mean, boy, if there's, if there's one thing that I think is going to just be, it's never going to end. It's ne- one thing that's never going to end is like how different everybody's apprehension about these things are, how different, you know, the same way that we had to do lockdowns of differing amounts in different places. And everyone was very confused. Well, you know, it's like this, the whole classic, like, you know, oh, it's, it's, um, it's snow today in New York. So, you know, climate change is fake or w- whatever. Everybody can come up with all this anecdata about that kind of stuff, but there's going to be so, in all of these things we're talking about here, whether that's handshakes or whatever, I feel like there's going to be a lot of slow motion negotiation about how we go back into that, if we ever do go all the way back into that. And, you know, handshakes may end up being one of the more extreme examples, that and like French cheek kissing. But, I mean, there's a fair amount of stuff where, I mean, I've, I've always found it so strange, the way people like grip the handrail to go up and down the steps on Muni. I mean, I understand, like, some people absolutely need that to steady themselves, but like, oh my God, really think about that, <laughs> that handrail when you're going down into Muni. You're, you're, or the you're more in favor of the grab and then lift off, reposition and grab a second location as opposed to the slide? I am of an age and a belief that I'm somewhere between never needing any help from, uh, like a railing or a, a banister. Do you do the hover? I'm so... Huh? Do you do the no, hover? no, no, no. I'm, I'm well. I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm a fister, mm. but the but but no. But for example, sometimes like when I'm putting my shoes on, like when I'm stepping into slip-on shoes, I will um, see how I'm making this pointy knuckle with my middle finger and like put that up against the wall. Mm-hmm. Even in my home, my own home, I don't want to make a hand. That's your noogie knuckle. Well, it's we're like when you're in the shower. I don't need to grip the rail, but knowing. My proprioception is probably not what it used to be. I like to know where I am in three dimensions, and I can put my shoes on just fine if I could, if I had one finger on one surface. I don't need to steady myself. I just need I need a uh, an accelerometer that's going to help me understand <laughs> where I am in three dimensions. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend the hover to you for re- no. for, for stair railing. And let me by tell the time you, why. you grab, it's too late. It's too late. The f- fisting fisting works well. So you okay? Explain fisting to me then. No, not like that. The other one. Um, I mean, you know, I, I guess if I have my druthers, I finally learned that when I'm, when I'm cutting up garlic, <laughs> boy, talk about another side benefit. When we were first going through the craziness of, ah, we can't find hand sanitizer too. Ah, you know, all that. And then finally we did have hand sanitizer. We did have masks and we did get those like nitrile gloves. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it took me 53 years to realize that I should put those on when I cut garlic. Why would you do that? Why would I do that? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't want my hand to smell like garlic. I want my hand to smell like garlic. That's a benefit. Well, then don't wear the gloves, John. Yeah, that's a feat. But failing at that, when I'm going down the steps, I'll, I'll I will, you know, because I do. I don't want to go ass over tea kettle down mm-hmm. two flights of stairs, but like I'll do a fist. And so basically, the uh, the flat between the knuckles part, kind of. See, I can't do it now that I'm not doing it. I can't think of so, it. But so, are you touching anything with your fist? Yes, you're touching it, but you're not touching it with the palm got of your it, hand. Got it. Okay. So what I was going to recommend for the hover is basically hover. have your hand in the position that you would be in right before you grip the railing but don't actually mm-hmm. touch any part of the railing so you hover pretty all the way optimistic down. pretty because then it, optimistic because then if you trip you will instinctively reach mm. out and grab the thing that is like an inch under your hand and you will grab it okay i'll try it i mean i'll try it that's that's what i do in a sort of a public transportation muni situation in my own home and i tell my own kids kids if you're listening to this always hold the railing i tell them to literally hold the railing and not just hover over it, but in 
situations where you might want to scoop up all the germs of everyone who's been on Muni that day, uh, the hover is great because it means no actual contact. But if you do trip and stumble, and I have tested this theory many, many times in my life, you will, in fact, grab the railing. Now, <laughs> you tested it on purpose? No, or no not on purpose, right? It doesn't mean you're not going to fall. Oh, you're, you're, you're like real world, real world road testing. It doesn't mean you're not going to fall, but it's like the lesson you learn when you're a kid is like not to like, uh, you know, walk with both hands in your pockets on the sidewalk with, on a on a Yeah, don't run sidewalk, downhill. Yeah. Right? Because having a hand ready to grab something versus having both hands in your pockets makes the world of difference when you stumble. That's fair. Um, and it's weird because like I, I, I do think about this more than I used to, and I'm not sure what caused the difference. It was pre-corn, but like, you know, I've seen some stuff, let's just say. I, 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 there's a lot of toenail clipping going on on Muni. Not a huge fan of that. If you're lucky. Well, it's not great. And you just hear that, you hear that, it goes flying off, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's really just trimming her toes on, uh, on Muni. But then there's also people who are just, they like just enjoying their meal. So first of all, gross, like you're bringing, you're bringing all this stinky food. That's fine, whatever. But then they're eating it. And like sometimes maybe they could be even while they're holding a pole. And I'm like, are you, do you just have a death wish? Like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, and this is even setting aside like what we've learned about like, you know, it's, you still see ads on TV. I know you don't watch TV with ads, but you'll still see ads for all these various, like, there's this one super weird ad with like Robert De Niro and Lady Gaga. And they're talking <laughs> Lady about who? seeing this Lady Gaga. No. And when you see the seal on the outside of the store, you know, it's been really clean inside. I don't know if it's a Scientology thing or they lost a bet, but like, and, and boy, De Niro, he's obviously reading off a car, John. It's not great. Yeah. But uh, even Lady Gaga, she seems very enthusiastic. She goes in the store if she sees that seal because she knows it's clean. <laughs> I, get, I get picturing an actual seal. You mean like a, you know, a circular ooh, ooh, ooh. stamp. So talking about a sea line is what you're thinking of. Maybe I'm thinking but of a like, seal. But like, you know, remember the shots of like, hey, whatever, before the summer. They're like, hey, movie theaters are going to be reopening. So there's people in like hazmat suits, mm-hmm. like looking like well, those exterminator things, like spraying off the <laughs> right, seats. Right, and yeah. you're like, oh, even then, didn't we know like this is yes, a little no, bit. I don't, I don't think anybody ever thought any of that was doing anything. But this also does then touch on perhaps a slight uh, alcove of, how, do, how does one say? Um, okay, well, let me ask you this. Let me put it this way. So setting aside the sort of like a personal... Well, say however you want. Um, what will and won't, what will, what will or won't or will kind of stick with us in terms of, let's, let's, let's go ahead and talk about the public health angle. Is there anything that, that you think will, not, not should, but like will stick with us? Like, will we still be doing this six months from now? I have some dim hope that the half-life of situational mask wearing will will be longer than we think. Like, because, you know, I like obviously the pressure to go back to uh, totally ignoring the fact that Japan is right about wearing masks when you have a cold, like the pressure to do that is going to be tremendous. Uh, But I'm hoping that because it's been so normalized in the current set of people who are alive today, including the children, that it that there actually is some kind of chance that the normalization of wearing a mask when you have a cold and during flu season could hang on for years and years. I think that mm-hmm. is a realistic hope. Obviously, I do hope that it's true. And I think it is somewhat realistic just because we have essentially an entire generation of people now who formatively understand that this was a thing, that it was important, that it was helpful. Also, that we may be asked to do it again at some point in their lifetime, right? But (laughs) but even if we're not, even if it's just plain old like flu season, 
I think we may have ripped the bandaid off, so to speak, on getting Americans to just accept the fact that wearing a mask when you have a cold is a reasonable, nice, polite thing to do. So maybe that stays around. Mm-hmm. I think my kid would be fine wearing one forever. Like she's really into yeah, it. Yeah, you're talking about the other side of that, which is what about the people who don't, who are, you know, I put this in the notes, who have become institutionalized in the uh, Shawshank Redemption sense, right? Uh, that mm. at a certain point you need the walls. At a certain point, the mask makes you feel more comfortable. Oh, right. You know what I mean? That's what they call it, institutionalized. Yeah. I tried to read an article about that today, but I think it only grabbed the sample from it. But it was a, it wasn't the Guardian, but it was some UK paper talking about, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a trend piece, but basically about the people who now have developed this kind of long-term anxiety about getting sick mm-hmm. that even if they weren't like that before, or they didn't have that kind of germ, germ phobic OCD, but like otherwise neurotypical people who are just like, I'm not coming out. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a year long traumatic experience for all of us. It would be surprising if that wasn't the case for some portion of the population, you know? I agree. And, and sort of, like I said to you in talking about my vaccination and, you know, I realize I'm, I sound like a, I'm trying to, I think I'm a hero or something, but my, my obsession through all of this has been like, I don't want to make other people sick. And the best way for me to not make other people sick is for me not to get sick. So, you know, win, 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 as Michael Scott would say, like it's, it is, it, that, that's all really good. There's, there is this thread through all of this stuff though. It's been there all along. It's still here now. It just keeps, I don't know. It's, there's something so frustrating about I can understand why people say messaging on this or that topic has been bad. Well, you know, unless you're being willfully simple, there's one thing that's that's not oblique and is not opaque, and that is that there is a disease ripping through this country that's going to keep killing people until it doesn't. And it's not going to stop killing people until we do a lot of stuff differently. So I... Just to pop up a couple levels, I, I don't have a lot of patience for the people who are like, oh, get your story straight, Dr. Fauci. You're saying we don't have to wear it outside and da 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 I mean, that's crazy. I mean, like you understand shoes. Those, those are those are people who who crave dogma, who are those authoritarians, essentially. Maybe. Just, because they Maybe. want there to be one constant answer that never changes, despite how the uh, surrounding facts change and science isn't like well, that. And it is very upsetting. I wish it were that simple. I, I wish it were as simple as, you know, preference bias. Well, I mean, there's one that, I'm just saying that's one aspect of the stew that makes people say things like that. But I really feel like one aspect that people don't think about. I mean, it's, there's so many articles about this when Trump was being elected about the the authoritarian bent, the need for someone to have the one and true answer and how yeah, comfortable that. that is, you know, mm-hmm. and that is that in that stew that makes people say things like that. That's an ingredient. And I think the reason it's an interesting ingredient to me is it's, it's an ingredient that the people in that stew don't know is there like there is no sort of acknowledgement it is not top of mind right. for anybody it is like well, especially if they consider themselves to be such a lover of freedom and snake flags when when actually what they're what they're looking for is a kind of clarity that is non-existent or a kind of decisiveness a kind of like god said it i believe it that settles exactly, it type thing yeah. Yeah. And and I don't and I think if you asked any of them, they wouldn't say, no, that has nothing to do with this. What are you talking about? I just don't you know, they just keep changing the story about the mask. It's so stupid. Right. But like it's it's there. Yeah, make it's up like, your it's mind so, science. so foundational to their being that they can't see it. It's the whatever the water. This is water business. It is. OK, so I'm going to go and say this thing because I think this might be smart and uh, it maybe not isn't. But I'm going to say it anyway. Um, the thing I was about to say a second ago was like you understand shoes. Don't pretend that you don't understand shoes. You know, you you could you could say and try to sound credulous about going like, what is the deal? When do you wear shoes? When do you not wear shoes? What are the rules? This is crazy. It's all different. Nobody can ever decide. And you know, 
I do feel like, yes, you're right, that there are people who are looking for a kind of a non-existent certainty. Um, but like, you know, when it comes to shoes, like, okay, well, here's an example. Like if you're going to go on a hike on rocks, I'm going to go ahead and say you should pretty much, I'm going to go ahead and say it, you should always wear shoes. Unless you don't. Fine. Whatever. There's always cases, corner cases, edge cases. But like if you're going to go on, on big pointy rocks, you should probably wear shoes. If you're going to take a shower... Uh, in your own home, maybe don't wear shoes. Again, there's asterisks, asterisks all over the place. But don't act like you don't understand the general idea. Well, then why would you wear shoes in the shower at the Y? So you don't get athlete's foot. No one is trying to fool you here. Or like, oh, you wore shoes in bed because your husband likes that? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a thing that we do. And that's there's nothing over confusing about that. So to me, to like that's the problem is like the acting like this is more confusing than it is. And, and doing this, these like broad mime-like gestures to go, well, I don't understand. Well, do I have to wear a mask here or not? Well, you know what? How about this? If you ever have any uncertainty about it, wear a mask. That's how we have fewer people die. It's not that complicated. And you are, what you're giving is like for the shoe thing is for most of our lives, a thing that we generally consider to be static. But And, you know, you can feign uh, confusion in that as you just demonstrated, right? And it seems ridiculous. But then for the things like for things like COVID, especially in the beginning, our knowledge and understanding of what did and didn't work and the nature of the disease necessarily was changing as the facts change. And yes, it's absolutely. Right. And alongside the fact that, that our, our good friend, friend of the show, Dr. Fauci, he's how many, how for, for the rest of this man's life, he's 80, something like 80 years old for the rest of his life. He's going to have to explain the reason I said not to wear a mask in February, March, whatever was there weren't enough masks. They're wearing garbage bags. The people who were working in hospitals didn't have masks. So no, don't take a mask away from somebody who is actively exposed to this. Oh, don't worry. We'll be over this in a couple of weeks if everybody does it right. And you can, you know, Monday morning quarterback that forever is like, well, that was the wrong move and you should have done this and hindsight is twenty twenty, and And we weren't entirely sure about the aerosol spread at that point and so on and so forth. But like the bottom line is like people do the best. They're doing the best they can. And things change as the facts change. As we know more about the disease and how it spread, which took time because we had to study it the rules necessarily changed. And for some people, that's very upsetting. The idea that yes. that even almighty science, which they think of as a thing and not a method, somehow doesn't have the answers and the answers change. And that is very upsetting. Uh, the idea that, you know, we can give you one answer at, for right. you know, or for one reason and then a week later give you a different answer and the week later give you a different answer. It's like, well, throw up my hands. I, I crave dogma. Tell me the one answer now. And, and the other thing is right. that if you want yeah. the one answer, if you want dogma, it is available to you very easily, right? Through like oh the... right, well, Senator, if you want my answer, I'll give it to you now, right? <laughs> like I, I can, I will give you an answer. Well, so you, it's like your kid arguing with you and, and trying to to play lawyer ball about a decision. You go like, well, I'll, I'll give you the answer now. No, yeah, yeah, the answer is no and never. If you, you want may not ever do that, it is available. Yes, you know, it's on the most popular news network. Like you can, you can find it. It's mm, this is very off brand for Merlin twenty twenty one, but it's a classic. Um, if you're a dumb guy who wants to seem like a smart guy, that's very much a dumb guy move. A, du a dumb guy move is to go, is to like constantly try and look for some kind of equivocation where it doesn't really exist or it doesn't need to exist, but where you're, you know, you think, you, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, reply guy kind of thing of like, well, actually this is possible, you know, if you fold space and, and do the blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. That's really smart. Yeah. You're a very smart guy, but like, no, like let's remember, let's not. I mean, obviously, we have taken our eye off the ball. The, the, the ball has left the park a long time ago. But, you know, it's if you were actually, if one were trying to be smart about this and to to 
sort of, um, if you're going to fail, fail in the way of caution, you know, um, it's, I don't know. I, 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 that is one of the things that is going to be dogging me for probably a real long time is just that, that it, it sucks when there's something that you suspect or worry is going on on a cultural level. And then it's proven to you in a way that shows it to be a hundred times more true than you realized. And in this instance, that is, I think one of the big patterns is Americans can't ha- handle subtlety. And, you know, again, d- don't get me started. I'll do five hours on how Twitter has broken everyone's brain on this stuff. And Twitter in particular, it's a, it is a, it is a totally weaponized dumb guy platform at this point that's making everybody terrible and mean and unsubtle. And I'm not even trying to be, I'm not trying to be clever about this, but I'm saying like, if you don't lose the thread, if if you do keep your eye on the nominal ball, like this stuff is not as complicated as it seems. Act like it's a life and death situation. When clearly there are people for whom this has been seen as like an eye rolling on running inconvenience for them. When of, of course they're going to like have their nose sticking out of the mask and all of that stuff, because that's their own sort of F you. That's their, that's their seventh grade boy. Like, Oh, technically I was home at seven. It's just that I left at seven fifteen. that, that kind of like, you know, lawyer ball. And I, I have grave, I have a lot of grave concerns about the country. Um, and one of my grave concerns is that, and maybe this is even one of the boy, we're, we're lucky if this is our biggest problem, I guess, but like we are just, we have such a terrible time with, with subtlety. And, and what you're, everything you're describing there, I think is, is part of that, the evidence of that, the, like, the, like, it really seems like a willful attempt, a willful misunderstanding of, of, of what we know, you know, it's, it's like, if you, you know, like you have something like a management position where you are and like as a manager or, you know, a whatever, a parent or whatever, you can't, you can't create a legal doctrine that won't have a loophole to it. It requires good faith from the people who are part of it. And it also requires, it's hoped, an understanding that like, you know, I'm not telling you you can't play in the street because I hate you. In fact, if it matters, I'm telling you that because I love you. And because in ways that will be difficult to understand (laughs) until you're in the hospital, that is not the place for playing. And like, you could find a loophole to that. And I, I can't make you not play in the street actually, but like, I need you to have good faith that this is here for a reason. I mean, yes, I am a pill about the kill zone because the kill zone is how we get out of the house with a door that opens in, right? I'm from Cincinnati. I know about the Who concert. I know what happens in situations like that. I'm not doing that just to be a pill. I'm doing that because when, if and when that ever does become a problem, it'll be too late. And one of my stronger characteristics as a person is I rarely actually say I told you so to people. But like, I want us to like, I want to believe in the good faith of people. And I want to believe in the, as Lincoln said, better angels of people. It's just that every time you turn around, you just see, it's like when we went out to eat at that restaurant, John, it's like all, all the men act like children and all the women act like teenagers. It's, just, it's so strange. And I'm not saying I'm any like, you know, I'm not exactly Cary Grant, but like just everybody run around revving their rim engines and the, and the. The, the women with the, with the wackadoo outfits and the like Instagramming and all the stuff. And it's like, oh man, don't vote. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Burrow. You can learn more about Burrow right now by visiting burrow.com slash diffs, B-U-R-R-O-W 
com slash diffs. Being able to move without fuss is important to a lot of people. Well, gosh, I hope it's important to everybody. Nobody likes fuss. Fuss is just another form of business. I don't care for a bunch of business. You know, especially when you're changing jobs, moving to a different city, or just embracing working remotely by, you know, moving around. <laughs> Being able to pack up and go easily is basically a superpower, but what's holding most people back? Moving heavy furniture, taking it apart, putting it back together again. Yuck. If you're a long-time listener of this show, uh, you've already heard about a furniture brand that might as well be made for moving, and that's Burrow. Burrow sofas are easy to assemble and easy to move. Their innovative modular design and super helpful instructions make assembling and disassembling your furniture quick and hassle-free. So when it's time uh, to move, your Burrow furniture won't be the thing that's holding you back. Mm -mm. They're designed for the way that you live uh, their award-winning Nomad Sofa has a built-in USB charger. You guys you guys love USB chargers. So you can take conference calls from the couch or, or just keep scrolling on Twitter. And their all-new range collection of seating features wider seats and deeper cushions and a contemporary Scandinavian look. Nothing wrong with that. Super easy to shop on uh, Burrow, too. You can uh, spare yourself the warehouse trip and, uh, and just go shop online. Everything is designed to work perfectly together in your living space. So all you got to do is add it to the cart. Boom. Plus, Burrow's world-class support team is available for you whenever you need it. And, and you get uh, fast, free shipping on every order, which saves you an average of $100 on large items like a couch. That's a lot of money. I was um, sitting on my own Burrow uh, sofa for most of today because I'm a lazy man. And, and then I realized that I had to come in and uh, do, do some advertisements, in, including the one for Burrow. And I was thinking about it as I was sitting on that couch and, and how good it's been to us. Um, I bought my burrow before they were ever a sponsor, uh, with my own money and, and not even a code. I, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm a hero, but you know, that's, it's heroic in its way. And now my family has a place to sit down. It's kind of a win for everybody, you know, and right now you're going to get $75 off your first order by going to burrow.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Okay. B-U-R-R-O-W. Burrow.com slash diffs for $75 off your burrow purchase. You say it thrice and it's almost like praying. Burrow.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Burrow for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Yeah, this is a, the joke that has been going on for probably the last half year. Like, uh, I actually started pretty early and uh, the COVID things was like, uh, I'm never going to uh, wa uh, watch a horror movie again and make fun of the people making dumb decisions how unrealistic it is that with the zombies out there that the people would argue with each other and go out on the zombies or whatever because like we had the ultimate demonstration of people doing just the absolute worst stupidest thing in the face of all possible evidence to the contrary um right and as like you were saying like you know like it's not so much as like the demonstration the of uh, inability to handle nuance as a revelation of exactly how broken things are in this country. Like, yes. And you know, yes. the, the, the sort of the pre postmodern articles that are coming out now is like, you know, the foundation of like, it's easy for us to say, Oh, it's cause just they're dumb or, you know, cause Fox news told them not to. And right. But, but really <laughs> it's like that faith in if faith in institutions has been eroded intentionally in many, many cases by people, by people with ulterior motives, to the point right. where there is no longer any common ground combined with the general sort of empathy deficit that affects a large portion of the country that lets them be susceptible to those intentional degradations. Everybody's everybody's really mad. It's not even just that we can't agree on what truth is. It's that we seem to be having trouble even saying that e even if you are a, a philosophical relativist, 
that there are some things that are incontrovertibly a lot more true than other things, even if you don't believe in capital T truth. Yeah. And, uh, and we're so we're so broken that there is there, you know, there's, there's this, this huge groups of people that just like w- what they're making is from their perspective and their worldview, both rational and correct decisions about all of this, because their mm-hmm. sources of information and the institutions that they trust are are speaking with one voice and telling them someone trying to put a mask on you is killing your freedom and COVID's probably fake anyway. And that is mm-hmm. exactly, and it's not like they're, oh, you're dumb because you're making a bad decision. It's like, here are my priors. Like, here's here's where I'm mm-hmm. coming from. And this makes perfect sense to me. And you're ridiculous. And we're saying the same thing over here. And of course, we're actually right and they're actually wrong, but they don't know that. We, but it's, yeah, it, it's also that like the way that it ends up affecting everybody is, you know, <laughs> like uh, Mr. Kylie says, and fantastic, Mr. Fox, stop yelling. You say one thing, you say another thing. There is so much, there's so much fuel for us to go like, well, who can you believe? Everybody mm-hmm. says something different. And I mean, I'm, I'm not even trying to like act like a big shot and say like, I'm on the side of right. I, but I, what I am saying is that like, you know, one of your jobs as a grown up is to evaluate, oh God, what is it the uh, defense attorney kept saying in the show in case the totality of evidence. Like you do need to look at the totality of evidence. The best information that you can find right now, I mean, act like you care. You know what I mean? Uh, They were talking about this on um, some show I was watching today. They were talking about how you persuade, hopefully persuade people. I think it might've been even talking to Fauci. And, but but saying like, you know, you're not trying to be confrontational about it, but in some cases you, I mean, I don't know if it even matters anymore. But like, you may not care about you, but do you care about your kid? Do you care about your... That, that's the most depressing part of this wave of articles about like, oh, we, we tried various ways to convince people to get the vaccine. And what they would do is like, oh, here's what worked. We told them like, well, you know, so you already had COVID and you're fine and you think you're going to be fine. But what if you give it to someone else? And like somehow all these articles like end up coming to sense. And when we told them that they found it compelling. It's like, really? They found that compelling as if it was a new idea. And before Mr. Fancy Newspaper Person came up to them. Well, yeah. And like, there's like, and if people hear it from their own doctor... And you're like, really? Like, that's that's so depressing. This can't be a new idea to them. I, and it feels almost like the, the, once they know they're in a newspaper story, they feel like they're, they're better angels make them like they suddenly have a slightly larger perspective. And they're like, OK, so granted, everyone in my circle tells me that I shouldn't trust anything the media says because the media are a bunch of liars and scientists are fake and science is fake and Bill Gates is tracking me. But yes, I'm in this newspaper article and suddenly <sighs> I'm looking for an out. And when they say, oh, you might give it to your grandma, I decided to say to the newspaper guy. Right. And, and they that, that reporter is not going to be subject to the Jedi mind tricks that work on the other guys down yeah, at the... And they feel like, to yeah. me, I'm looking for an out because in the end, I know that this is stupid and I have to say something. So like, oh, I, I guess I never thought that I might give it to grandma. Of course you thought about giving it to grandma. How could you not? You're not actually dumb. It's just that every other influence that's surrounding you before that was saying, okay, I right. might give it to grandma, but it's much more important for me to right. be macho for the guys. Yes, that the, the disincentive toward the, but like you know, here's another one. So like, uh, uh, you know, if you're not just another hog in a red hat, and you actually you actually do have some critical thinking skills of your own, um, and like maybe so like if it's not Bill Gates's nanobots, or it's not you know uh, some way to the the white replacement theory, you know, or, or whatever. Like, what do you think the vaccine's going to do to you? And they go, well, you know, um, you know, knows? Operation, nobody knows uh, what's warp- in it. It could do anything. Well, here's the thing, though, John. They're like, oh, Operation Warp Speed. Maybe it was a little too warp speed, if you know what I mean. Okay, so do you think you're going to become a lycanthorpe? What is your what do you, What do you think? Do you think your liver will stop working? 
the, the millions and millions of people who've had this and now can't make other people sick, like they haven't sprouted hair. It just seems safer to avoid it. Better safe than sorry, Arlen. I mean, it's you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like if, if I were that reporter, if I were that Isaac, Isaac Trotner or whoever who could, you know, hold somebody's feet to the fire in, in, in a way that I, I can't because I'm not good at arguing. Okay, we're running out of time. It will be a bonus uh, bit after this, but my suggestion for the pivot, which could take another hour and 20 minutes, but... Uh, we could also keep talking about this more later, but how um, do you, do we have time to talk about something like World of Work? Do you want to talk about that, or do we not have time to do that? Like, what comes next? Going back to work? I, I think we could touch on it. We might revisit it in a later episode, but I think uh, I mean I think that, that's a, that's a big that's a big that's a big one. It is it is less fraught though than the other topics. We got ourselves all wound up with yelling at people for not getting vaccines, which we're, we apologize, mm, but I apologize. If you have a car, it's not fraught. Yeah. Anyway. Um, if you don't have a car, it's not fraud. I mean, it is fraud. I mean to say. So for the for the work stuff, like where I'm coming from personally, having my very first job, I telecommuted to, so I was ahead of the curve on that. You know, um, and I, I but, love it. For and just all the so, sorry, just just real quick, this also you are free to include things like whether it's about remote working or not. I also want you to start. I want us to talk about expectations. I want us to talk about what we learned about like you know, health considerations uh, in terms of like what people need to be well, feel free to include any of it. It yeah. doesn't just have to be about telecommuting. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the remote stuff, obviously technology has come a long way. And I think this COVID has been a forcing function to prove in cases where before it was merely speculative, how many people can actually be effective from remote working with the technology that's available today. Um, and so that was good to prove that out. And the other thing is, I think, kind of how COVID uh, was revelatory to how broken our country is. Um, <laughs> also, yep, yep, yep. COVID was revelatory to how broken or not individual employers are because COVID asks, COVID asks employees to do difficult things. Can you work remotely in your job? Is that even possible, right? We, mm -hmm. It was tested in many different cases. And the other thing that was tested is from the employer's perspective, how much can you accommodate the increased demand for your employees for for them to have more flexibility because everyone's life is thrown up. Where are the kids? Are they are they at home? Are they at school? Are they working from home? What are my hours like or whatever? And every employee is feeling that if they can be working at home at all. And that in turn reflects on the employer to say, employer, how are you going to handle this? Are you going to handle this by, you know, being super strict and saying, well, if you can't do the hours, you know, get out of here or we're setting a new bunch of rules or are employers going to find it within themselves to be more accommodating and depending on who your employer is this could have gone either way right like but it but it is it, is, it reveals like things you wouldn't notice before when it's like oh everything's kind of normal and maybe this employer seems maybe a little bit less flexible than the other one but suddenly it's put to the test and say which which employers will rise to the occasion and not only be flexible but also be way more accommodating for everyday things that have nothing to do with COVID than they were before because they realize totally. the world the world doesn't end if it turns out mm -hmm. that, you know, everybody like I remember these policies about flex time, like and, and you've, you've been lucky enough to be insulated from the corporate world for a while now. But like how fraud flex it was, time is where like you is, is that's, that's different from job sharing, right? It, it's like so they had all these words for managing how and when people work. And those policies were all so tightly controlled and codified. And we'd argue about the minutia of like, OK, well, who which businesses are allowed to have flex times, which means they don't have to be working from nine to five strictly every day and how much variance are they allowed in either direction, how long of a break in the middle of the day is too long, and how can we carefully chart out so that we have 80% of our employees overlapping in their time so we can have successful meetings 
and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, well. We're just feeding the meetings. <laughs> and then like, if your title is this high, then you get this amount of PTO. But if you're in this section, you can't have flex time. But in the year in this section, you can't have flex time. And, it's, and suddenly all of those rules were like, like, what were you doing trying to maintain this tightly controlled system? What if you just said, everybody can work whenever it works for them and we'll make it work, which is essentially what we were forced to do in COVID. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, we spent all this time debating the minutia of our flex time rules. And really what we could have said in, in, in the end was like, just ever mark whenever you want. You're good workers. You're conscientious. We'll get stuff done. Can that work? And then a lot of people found out the answer is right. yes. Well, and I, jo- I joke about feeding the meetings, except I'm not joking. And I, I do really believe in a, in a way that's way more cynical than I would like to be that corporate America or just business America is constantly in search of something to manage. Right. It's like, how can this thing be managed and how will it be managed is it's not just about I really think it's not just about scale. I think there's there's something, you know, again, and I guess you could say startup culture works at odds with that sometimes. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like, well, gosh, do we really need this many managers at this level? Do we really need this much oversight of these kinds of things? And like, even now, there's still so many endless meetings that go on. You're like, where people are just muted and sitting there and that's their day. And they're working on other things or on a back channel. But like the flex time thing existed because it's something that you could manage. How do you, how do you manage the, the true flexibility of, yeah, just do your work and do it well. Yeah, and it's the slippery slope argument. Of, well, we, we can't just let it be a free-for-all because no one will get anything done. And and I think within each individual employer and each individual job, like the, the answers to those questions have been coming out. Like, do are our employees conscientious enough this can work for us? Is it better for everyone involved? Is it worse? Because not every job is the same. Certain, you know, obviously, if you're mm-hmm. going to be a cashier at the, uh, the grocery store, you can't do that from home, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we still don't have right. the technology for that. Um, but in many other cases where, we'd gone through sometimes decades of arguing about these little tiny details and like doling out these tiny little perks as if we, if you give these employees an inch, they'll take a, a, a mile. Right. So we have to really, really tightly control who's allowed to come in at eight 30 and leave at four 30, because if someone sees someone leaving at four 30, it's going to make everyone feel like life is unfair. And then we're going to have upset. Work. And it turns out like with COVID, nobody cares. No, like everyone is fine with everyone else doing what they need to do because we're all in this giant crisis situation and all our kids are doing weird stuff and we don't know what's going on. Like, and yeah. somehow, you know, in many jobs and many types of employment, things went okay. And I feel mm-hmm. like there's no way that we can will collectively forget that. Maybe management will want, want to forget that and go back, but employees are going to be like, so remind me again why prime position can't have quote unquote flex time when I just spent the last year working whenever the hell I can and everything was fine. Yes. You know, so I really, I really hope like, again, because with this generation of like, we will not be able to forget. Maybe we haven't learned that unions are good or whatever, right? But we certainly learned that all those BS rules before that were tightly controlling our life for no benefit are exactly that, completely BS. Yeah. It's something that was true before the pandemic and will remain true in the future that must always be born in mind. I, I'm not trying to sound like a radical here. I'm trying to not sound like a radical. But, but people, let's see, let me give some especialies. Especially young people who are especially the people in power uh, who especially have a lot, have more resources than other people. Like if it's a young, uh, well-off, uh, relatively unencumbered person, I'm thinking here of like a guy in his like late twenties who has an MBA, who could be a person, I'm making a straw man here to make a point, is that like, I hope we don't always count on those people to be the ones who decide what rules to make about the people who are older, 
have fewer resources, more responsibilities, and have more encumbrances in life. Like they had to pretend that they were being decent to people for the last year. But, you know, so what happens next? You know what I mean? Where it's like, if those are the kinds of people, and I think you could look at headlines from the last week or two about this, about, you know, the people who think they're making some kind of a very, um, I don't know, they, they think they're doing the right thing. And maybe it's hard to know if you're doing the right thing if you're not really hearing from everybody who suffers under what you think is an egalitarian regime. And like that, that always, you know, that, that those needs have never, I mean, everybody, now we're aware, now that we've seen photos of kids sitting outside of Burger King trying to get Wi-Fi for school. And, you know, that's, that sucks, but that's, that's not the first time that's ever happened. And like, so do we want to do something about that? Or, you know, how are we going to handle that? And if somebody does need time off to take care of a sick person, I'm now I'm just being another liberal bleeding heart, but like, I don't know. I have this apocalyptic vision though, of all of the, you know, the, the guys with, uh, reserved parking spaces coming back and like, you know, they, they want to get back to high-fiving, you know, and, and doing their thing and the business travel and all the stuff that lets them run away from the, the emptiness of their life on a basic level. Um, by looking at the people whose lives are full and difficult, <laughs> you know, a full life is not an easy life. A full life can be a very difficult life. So the, the joy of having five kids also comes with it, the cost of having five kids and all of those things. But I've been that guy. I've been that guy who scowls at the baby in business class. I've been that guy. You don't want that guy running the company. But now those guys are going to be back and running the company. And I, I don't know what that future looks like. You know, you mentioned unions. I don't know. I think, I don't know. Unions are, anyway, I'm not going to say anything. But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But like, th- there are some things that one hopes there are in, represent incontrovertible evidence or at least certainly things that we need to have a conversation about. You know, John, back in the day when I was a productivity person, and I would think about like, I just can't believe meetings are allowed to be conducted the way they're conducted. It always used to just blow my mind. that The kind of people who are like trying to cut costs on toilet paper will at the same time just allow unmetered meetings with relatives, like as many people as can fit in the room. It always used to seem so strange to me that like you wouldn't, because you like going to meetings. You could like to be the guy who's in the meeting. That's your deal. Your deal is your meeting guy. You go to meetings, you run the meetings, and you get to like do this thing, go, mm, you know, at, at the end of the table, I guess, you know, and you get to feel like you're really involved with everything. But like everybody else in there has a job that they need to do while they're in that meeting. That meeting is part of their job, I guess, in the same way that picking up the dry clean is part of trying dry cleaning is part of their job. But like they all have stuff to do and then they need to leave and they need to maybe go take care of a kid. And like I, I do not have a high level of confidence that those particular better angels will emerge out of this. I don't think we're going to get a lot of Scrooge on Christmas morning moments out of this, but I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I don't expect those type of people to change. What I expect is that the collective memory of the the leaf nodes of the org chart will be undeniable and incontrovertible until all those people die because we've all spent Mm -hmm. a year doing it. And despite the fact that I agree with you that management is going to have the inclination to bring things back to the way they were, Everybody else knows that that's a sham now, like not just theoretically, not just they feel like it might need, not just they had that one job once where Mm -hmm. things were different, but like everybody knows exactly Mm -hmm. how it is. And so we collectively won't forget. And hopefully that will produce some kind of resistance from the, you know, the the push in the other direction. I'm not saying it'll just be like, okay, now we'll never go back because the workers will demand it. No, because, you know, in the end, people boss us around. Right. But like, I think that we will never actually forget. And that that sort of, that'll sort of like kind of the way I imagine for people who live through sort of 
tumultuous times like the civil rights movement or whatever, those people who actually lived through that until they eventually died would never forget Mm -hmm. that experience and it would inform the rest of their life. And it doesn't mean everything would go their way. I have no reason to believe that a, a good series of events will stay good. Right. right. Like and that, just because that, this is less bad doesn't mean it's permanent. Yeah, and, and that it informs their whole sort of belief system or it becomes a foundation. Like any like everyone who's been through a world war or whatever. Not that the COVID is a world war, yeah. but like it's a formative experience. No, and it and so I think it will produce more resistance than existed before. I think that is a safe bet. Whether that resistance will be fruitful in any way, we don't know. But uh, and also, I think, you know, if we are lucky enough not to deal with any kind of thing uh, like, like COVID in another generation, then we'll all die. And then the next generation will forget that we did this and just, you know, go back to getting uh, bossed around to have uh, flex time based on the uh, the Roman numeral after their title. Right. Right. But, you know, in the meantime, I think I think Sen- senior well, analyst four or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You don't get flex time unless you're in this part of the org and you have a Roman numeral three after your title. Do you have a wish list item for the post quarantine times, especially with regard to work and teams or culture or whatever. Do you have a wish list item that might even be a little bit of a wish upon a star thing? Is there anything that you would love to see be different that you feel feels more possible than it did 18 months ago? For me personally, like, yeah, I mean, like, like for me, it would be an, like an easy one would be something like, well, I, I, I hope in, in the same way that some of us hopefully have become a little bit more open or sympathetic to the idea of, just being re-reminded always that there are people with needs that are different from ours. And let's not assume, again, not to guess everybody else's motivation, but to like give people a little bit of slack. Um, I mean, that's, that's real mushy. Is there anything like that where you're like, I mean, do you miss like, you know, kick in the conference room? Is there anything that you hope will be different in whatever comes next? I mean, my my particular company, I think, has risen to the occasion. Like they were tested by, hey, guess what? It's going to be really hard for a lot of your employees. In fact, continue to be tested because a large portion of the employees of my company live in India. So right now, real time, things are really bad there. And I feel like my company oh, has- Oh, of course. It didn't even occur to me. <gasps> of course. Oh my God, John. Yes. And through this <gasps> whole thing, my company has, I, from my perspective, risen to the occasion by every time they were tested of like, here's a new thing you have to be understanding about. They have bent over backwards to say, yes, not only are we understanding about this, but like we're more understanding than you think we are, because it's very easy for employees conditioned in the pre times to expect, oh, hey, you say that, but you don't really mean it. And our company's like, no, we literally mean it. Please take take the time off, even if you're not sick, even if it's not someone in your immediate family who's sick, whatever you need to do, take the time, take care of yourself like you know, do mm-hmm. like we are completely flexible. You just let us know what you need and when you need like, you know, starting from like, OK, we're all going to be remote and we're going to figure out how to do that, which wasn't that much of a stretch for my company because, you know, uh, half half of the employees are on the other side of the world anyway. And we do lots of remote stuff. But like, you know, I so I'm what I'm saying is that my personal experience with this, I don't think there is any, the only thing I would ask of my company and my personal experience is to not try to roll this back because I think we've proven that this can work. And I was already more or less working like this. And now the benefits that I enjoyed got expanded to a much, much bigger group. In my mm-hmm. my particular employee, there's not a lot of people who need to be in person for almost anything. And we spent a year proving that, that really is true. And so I just hope that things continue in that vein. Now, obviously, there's, you know, there's there's no date inside of like, oh, we're all going to come back to the office or whatever. But even before that, I live very close to my office and I hadn't been coming in for months just because there was no reason for me to, and nobody gave me any stick about it because it was fine. Right. And so, yeah, I I just hope that continues because I think, 
it works well. And I'm glad, and like I said, that that that, that kind of system has been extended far beyond me, the very privileged employee in the, in the grand scheme of the company to essentially everybody who it is reasonable for it to be extended to. I like that. Hmm. I like it too. Uh, I'll allow it. I, I would like not working even better, but we'll see. Mm, baby steps. 